welcome to Western Reaches. Uh, I'm Megan Krauss. I'm here with my friend Sap to talk about the video games and books that we have been enjoying recently. Hey, Saf. Hello. Hey. So we're going to have a short episode this week. It will probably be about 40 minutes or so. Watch us go two hours now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because we, um, we're we sort of in the calm before the storm with games right now. Horizon Zero Dawn came out yesterday. I've played about two hours of it. And Mass Effect Andromeda is coming out at the end of this month. So Basically, we're in a bit of a holding pattern with game things. So um, we're just going to go over like the books we've been reading and the games we've been playing now, and then we should wrap up pretty quickly. But the first thing that we wanted to talk about was the big Mass Effect news this week, which was not exactly what I would have expected if you'd asked me what the big Mass Effect news would be at the beginning <laughs> of this week. Um, there was a sort of joking discussion on Twitter about the um, the romances. They haven't announced which characters can be romanced yet, and fans are naturally clamoring for it. And someone pointed out that the the rating list has has nudity listed as opposed to partial nudity. So someone asked one of the uh, developers, and there was a whole discussion about how this game is not necessarily safe for work. And one of the uh, developers referred to it as as space porn. <laughs> and so that <laughs> that conversation's been happening. And Saf and I weren't sure how to talk about this because we're too ace for this. And I don't really have feelings about this. <laughs> I guess, like, I wanted to talk about it a little bit because I wanted to emphasize that, like, my impression isn't necessarily what everyone else's impression is going to be, but my impression was sort of just that, like, this is kind of silly, and, like, the devs are joking. The whole Cards Against Humanity thing, where they, they made a deck of cards that was joking about the romances. Like, they are obviously trying to have fun with it. Um, it's not really the... It's not the kind of humor that I prefer, but that doesn't mean that... Like, I don't want to sound like I'm disapproving. It's just, it doesn't really matter to me. And I'm curious to see what the romance tracks in the game do with, like, how the characters interact with each other on an emotional level and whether this rumored, maybe, like, friendship endgame thing is actually a thing. Um, so this was sort of the elephant in the room. Saf, do you have anything else to say about that? I have I have pretty similar thoughts to you in that I am way too ace for this. Like I was reading um the Polygon article about it uh, when it came out, and I was just like, I don't I don't like I don't like this. Like not in the way that I don't want it to happen because I think that positive sex in games is a good thing in the grand scheme of the world. Um, but for me, I'm too much of a weenie, and I'm like, please just let me let me turn off the screen or something. Like, in The Sims, when your <laughs> Sims, like, woohoo, you can skip the cutscene in Sims 2 or whatever it was that had the cutscene. I want, like, that, where I can just push a button and it'll just skip, like, fade to black and not show me yeah. anything. <laughs> but I also... Oh, sorry. No, I mean, I'm glad we're on the same page with that, because my first feeling was definitely, like... I'm kind of uncomfortable. Like, I'm not going to be looking forward to this. I'm going to be like, okay, when's it going to get awkward? Whether that's because I feel awkward watching it or because the animation is awkward. Either one. <laughs> 
I guess the old fade to black of Dragon Age Origins was really awkward. But um, I I hope that they have at least like one romance option that is kind of ace or you can choose an ace option with them so you don't have to go down the whole sex route because for some people that does make them uncomfortable and I am one of those people. Um, and I think it's kind of important as well when you're going into games that do have full nudity and like softcore porn it's important to be able to make it comfortable for people who can't handle that stuff or don't like it because they will definitely have players doing that. And the idea of consenting to sex in games is an interesting one and one that I know a lot of um, people who are doing research into romance in games are looking at because in a lot of time in games, like I accidentally almost slept with Garrus in, in two because I didn't realize what was happening. And it wasn't really a whole like, there was like a little moment where it was kind of like, are you sure we want to do this? And I was like, whoa, no, no. Like, but that ends the relationship with him. Then you're just friends again. Um, and I think that would be an interesting topic to tackle. I don't know if this game will do it at all. I think Bioware is definitely trying to look at relationships in a different way to usual, but it's hard to know when they just joke about porn. Yeah, and I think it's important, too, to emphasize that there's Bioware ninja mancing, which is a thing and is hilarious, and I did experience again when I replayed the original Mass Effect, or part of it recently, like, your character can accidentally get into a romance with someone. <laughs> I think there's a that is a slightly different conversation than the conversation of does sex factor into this relationship? I, I would be very surprised if the game was subtle enough to be able to allow you an option in which you can skip or defer a sexual relationship and keep a romantic one, but that's certainly mm. a possibility that they might have discussed. I know at some point Bioware has mentioned they want to bring in asexual characters and also bring in polyamorous relationships because because those are those are things that they think are important with diversity but i don't know if they've actually they haven't mentioned anything about asexuality in this as far as i know so i don't know if they're actually gonna be doing that with any of the characters or giving you that option it would be nice if they did but i don't know if mass effect will be the game that does it yeah and that's a good way to put it i think it would be nice if they did i'm sure the conversation has been had but i'm not sure that mass effect will be the game that does it i i would agree with that yeah i mean either way i'm so excited for this game and it seems like the characters are really cool i'm just gonna be very fast and turning off my screen when i need to <laughs> yeah i'm like absolutely i'm definitely excited for it i'm sure we'll have a lot more to talk about when the actual relationships are are revealed because they probably will have all sorts of permutations of things and we'll we'll talk about that yeah definitely all right so um I think we're going to go right into what books we've been reading. Um, Saf, have you um, have you been reading much this week? Um, I started reading To Like the Lightning, but I'm not super far into it, so I don't have much to say on it, except that it seems interesting so far. And I also can't remember who recommended it to me. Um, but I also finally finished Empire's End. I don't know why I said finally. It only just came out here last week. But I finished that, and that was cool, I think. Cool. Now, is Two Like the Lightning the one that's set in like the near future and it has some sort of gender stuff? Yeah, it's not super near future, <laughs> but it's also Very not super specific. far future. But yeah, it does have some gender stuff. It's really, I've gotten to the point now where they've, where the main character has used different pronouns and then like they'll call a character he and then take a little moment to like 
have like a little side note of being like you would think like you would look at this person and maybe think they were a woman but i'm using the he pronouns because they're quite masculine personality and i was like okay so you you don't like it's so like um and what am i trying to what is it called ancillary justice where you don't actually know what gender a character like what perceived gender a character might be because the people in the book will just call them something completely else and when they're referring to someone in in dialogue they call them they they always use a gender neutral pronoun Interesting. I picked that one up just off a shelf recently and kind of flipped through it. And I think my thought was probably this doesn't seem to take as hard a stance as ancillary justice, but that's my my opinion on most things. So <laughs> I'll be curious to see what you think of that. It takes a different stance, but it's interesting so far. Cool. And yeah, so uh, Aftermath Empire's End came out recently. Um, I finished it. I went up excuse me, um, I was on the Tashi Station podcast last week to talk full spoilers for Empire's End, but on this show, we're not going to talk about spoilers. I know uh, several people, not several people, probably more than that, like globally <laughs> speaking. <laughs> um, <laughs> not everyone has finished this book, so we're going to just give general impressions, and if you haven't finished it, feel comfortable listening to this, and then once you have, you can go listen to the Tashi Station radio podcast if you would like. So I liked it a lot more than I liked Life Debt. I had some very specific problems with Life Debt, and it solved them, and Sloane is still amazing even if her arc kind of sagged a little bit in the middle those are my general impressions what were the things you didn't like in life debt i felt that han was not characterized particularly well i felt that he didn't quite follow from the character that we saw in the original trilogy his arc didn't really follow um it was sort of like life debt picked bits and pieces of Han, so he would act like a New Hope Han in one moment and Return of the Jedi Han in another. Um, my big issue, I think, was that he sort of left Chewie behind on Kashyyyk and, and ran, and I didn't think that was in character for him. Yeah, I would agree with that, I think. Um, and then my other issue was actually the romantic relationships. I felt that a lot of them were shoehorned in, Again, I'm not exactly the expert on that subject, but I felt that Jas and Jom particularly didn't have any chemistry, and Jom didn't have much of a personality. So I wasn't... Uh, there were moments where I think the book was trying to get me to care about people by virtue of caring about their romantic relationships, and I didn't. it didn't really work. Um, Nora's arc also was a little weaker in that book because she kind of hit rock bottom at the end and didn't know what she was fighting for, which is like an interesting idea. And I think that Empire's End explored it well. Um, but in Life Debt, it was sort of like, if this character doesn't know or care what she's fighting for, I don't know or care what she's fighting for either as a reader. Um, I think Empire's End changed that. It gave her struggle a little more concrete shape. And it let me understand that struggle a little better so that as she worked through it, I cared about that story. But um, life debt, not so much. Yeah, I think you're right on all of that stuff. Like when I was reading life debt, 
um when it came out i was i was right in the midst of reading all like the x-wing books like the first five x-wing first four x-wing books which are all very they're kind of trashy and not amazing um and they kind of had the same <laughs> fun sort I of think some people would fight for them but <laughs> some people would but i think those same people probably listen to rogue podra and they already know my feelings on this um i mean they're, they're really fun books and i can see why people like them but they are quite trashy and they're not the best written sci-fi out there um and so reading life debt kind of felt like those books when i was reading it but now that i'm kind of past that point i'm looking back on life debt i'm like did I really enjoy what happened in that book? Like, did I really agree with what the characters did? And I think, I don't know, like, by this point, I read Empire's End, and I think the end, like, the last third I got really into, but the start and the middle, I just had to drag myself through. Like, I don't know, at some point, I just kind of snapped, and Wendig's prose just started grating against me, which I hadn't had with the other books, but something in this book just did it, and I was I kind of read it in a bitter state of mind which was probably not the best because I didn't get like I didn't love it when I finished it I was all like eh I guess it's over now um I think my problem is that after three books it was maybe a bit too much of all of that um all of the characters felt quite flat to me which I think also comes from me not liking Nora in the first place because she did something in the first book that I really didn't like and agree with and that's kind of stuck with me since I was kind of thinking about about how you'd said that when I was reading Nora in Empire's End, because I, I generally like her, but there were some decisions in Empire's End that she made that I thought, like, this is, this is a flaw. This is just plain a character flaw, and the book doesn't seem to be setting it up to be fixed or redeemed in any way, which is not necessarily a problem. But it was a, a sort of stuck out a little bit, like, here's a decision that she made that I would really not have made. And it makes it a little harder to, to identify with her or to follow her. I did feel like the team dynamic worked really well in the later books. They're, um, yeah. they're not like, I wouldn't really necessarily list the Nora's crew um, as like, some of my favorite Star Wars characters. Although, no, I take that back. Sinjir is the exception. <laughs> um, the, <laughs> the real character I was rooting for in this book was Sloane. But um, yeah. they did work for me. I thought the team dynamic was a little more overt in the third one. So, the yeah. I, I see where you're coming from, though, with it. it sort of, um, oh, what's the word? Sorry. It, like, doubled down on what it was trying to do. And if yeah. you didn't like what it was trying to do in the first place, I can see how that would have just grated on you a little bit more. I find it interesting because I did really enjoy the first one. And the second one I got really into, too. And then, so I thought I would like this one as well. But I don't know. It was just something. Maybe it was just the state of mind I was in when I read it. And, like, I'll enjoy it if I reread it or something. Um, but, I mean, I loved I loved Sloane, obviously. And it's not a bad book. It's a... It's a plain fun book to read, but something about it just did not jive with me this time. And it may have just been Nora in general, honestly. Like, I just, I really don't like that lady. Do you think that it's useful or interesting to talk about this in the context of the main three at all? Like, did you feel like that the fact that this book didn't focus on Luke, Han, and Leia 
was a weakness now that the trilogy's done, or did that not really factor in? Because we, we talked about that on, on um, TSR, like how this is going in a different direction than the old EU did, and it's focusing more on new characters that the audience may not necessarily like. I personally think that's a good thing, but I've also, like, of all of the EU books I've read, the ones I've always loved the most were the ones with the original characters, and I think that's just because when it comes to, like, the original three characters and characters from the movies, I prefer to see them in a visual setting because that's kind of how they're written in my mind. Like, whenever they come up in a book, because I personally can't see things in my head, I think when it's just words on a page, it's really hard for me to reconcile that with the character on the screen okay that makes sense yeah what about you well i think it's it's a good thing that we're getting all of these new characters um i always love knights of the old republic i really like rebels ironically x the x-wing series the other one where people get really attached to the characters i don't think i've ever finished the first book i couldn't get through it (laughs) And I don't know why. Like, I didn't find the writing to be particularly dull. I like Corrin Horn. I liked him in the Jedi Academy books, which are also, like, objectively not great literature. So I don't know why I couldn't get through them, but I couldn't. And so, but generally, I like that idea of, like, the found family groups. So I'm glad that we're getting more of those. And I feel like it's... And this is all coming from me as a person who knows and is interested in the publishing side. Like, I'm aware of the discussions that, like, Pablo has had on Twitter about we need to contain the stories to the movies because they're targeted to a certain audience or this is how the story group works. Like, I'm interested in finding that stuff out. So I'm a little easier to forgive the prose and the novel if I know the inside baseball that went into it. So I'm not disappointed that, like, say, Luke isn't in this novel, because I know he wouldn't be. That's just not how they're setting up the franchise right now. Yeah. Yeah, I think people who rely, like, who expect too much of the, like, Luke in general in the EU at the moment are just setting themselves up for disappointment because they're obviously saving Luke's stuff for later on. I mean, considering how absent he's been and how the movies are going. Um, But also with the X-Wing books, I'm not sure I would have made it through them without doing the podcast about them because they are very much not my thing. They've got like my thing written all over them and I just could never finish them. Yeah, it's it's weird. I don't know what it is, but something about them just, it should be my thing, but it's not quite there. I can put myself in the shoes of people who like, say, want to see the original trilogy characters in the novels more. If yeah. you don't follow Del Rey on Twitter, if you don't talk to Pablo Hidalgo on Twitter, I can see why you just you wouldn't be thinking about it from a sort of franchise management perspective. And you would wonder, why is it worth it to spend money on the characters that I'm not familiar with? And I think these books justify spending the money on them. I think they're entertaining at the very least, but I can see why people would ask that. It's just um, sort of an odd era because it's so different from what the old expanded universe was. It's not, and we're what, two, three years into this now. It's not 
new anymore. Yeah. But it's not necessarily what everyone expected. Um, so I don't mind. But I, I do see where people are coming from, from a purely, like, continuity standpoint. I can see people wanting to know where Luke is. But I don't think you... I don't think it's reasonable from a business standpoint to expect him in the books. Yeah. Which and is I mean, a rabbit trail away from Empire's End, but that's how yeah. I feel about that. I mean, like, for a storytelling point of view as well, like, this long-term storytelling, it's kind of exciting not to know where Luke is yet as well. Like, we keep getting hints of places he is or might be, but we don't actually get an answer. And, like, when it actually comes out, like, the story about where Luke has been all this time, what he's been up to, it's going to be so exciting to actually finally read it. It is, and we have so little expectation right now. Like, there's so... Like, I expect Luke's story to be cool, but I also have no idea what Luke's story is going to be. Yeah. So I'm not really, like, set up for anything, which is a good thing. It, it means the story is more likely to be surprising and satisfying, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so all that to say that generally I enjoyed Empire's End, but I think that partially that's because it fixed um, some weaknesses in life debt. Yeah. And because Sloan is the best. Sloan is amazing. <laughs> so the other one that I read recently was The Stars Are Legion by Cameron Hurley, which is another book that like it needs a fandom right now. Like I want to talk to everyone <laughs> about this book. <laughs> and the Tashi Station Book Club is doing it in June, I believe. So I will get to talk to everyone about it then. But for Ooh, now, exciting. I... Yes. Um, <laughs> it is written by Cameron Hurley, who also wrote um, The Geek Feminist Revolution and The Mirror Empire, which is a fantasy series. I This is probably my favorite book by her. Um, I read The Mirror Empire and I liked the prose, but I didn't really get attached to the characters. This one, I really, I really liked the characters. And the prose is not always amazing. You can tell there are parts where she was doing really hard work in parts of the book that the book process, which were not necessarily the prose on the page, but um, the structure was amazing. And the world was one of the most creative worlds I've seen in science fiction, period. It, uh, it reminded me of of Mad Max a little bit, not necessarily in terms of genre. Like it's it's not post apocalyptic per se, but it's all about the human body as a commodity and the the extent to which people will disfigure themselves or will fight to get control of their own bodies. And it's set in a world where every everyone is female, every character is female. It is basically biologically impossible for men to be born in this society because everyone needs to be capable of, of bearing children, which aren't always children. Sometimes they're like machine parts. And that is also a good like example of the kind of body horror that's in this book. This is not a pleasant book. There's cannibalism, there's all sorts of violence. There's, like, I don't know what you'd call it, like, pregnancy horror. Um, it's a really uncomfortable world. 
but it's also really creative. And I thought the characters were just really lovely. And in all the world building, there's also just a really fun sort of exploration. I say fun. It's gross, but it's fun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sort of exploration story. And you get to literally world build. You get to see how the world that she created works. Because um, Zan, the main character, like has to explore this entire living planet. And I I really enjoyed it. I had some issues with the characters in that Zan has um, amnesia, right? So she can't remember anything that happened before the book opens, which is, I think, kind of a tired trope. And it was, it was justified, like there was good reason for it, but it was kind of... It made it hard for me to identify with her because she didn't know who she was. And I feel like there's a lot of potential, like the pros and cons of using that trope are very tricky, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and then um, the name, I didn't love the names. The main characters are Zan and Jade, (laughs) J-A-Y-D. And like, the world building is amazing, but the names sound like, Someone in high school made them, um, which <laughs> high school writers can do awesome things. Like, don't get me wrong, there's some awesome high school fan fiction, but like, I the names didn't fit the world. Does does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Yeah, so that's that, and I um would be curious to know what you think about the memory loss trope. Like, did, does that kind of put you off the way it did me initially? I mean, you just saying it kind of made me shudder a little bit because I. <laughs> <laughs> it's a trope I definitely am over. It's I understand why people use it because it's a really easy way to introduce people to a world in a book because the main character doesn't know what's happening, so you've got to explain it to the character as well as the audience. Um, so I get it, but also it's so... I hate, I hate getting a character, like a main character from the start who's kind of undefined. Like, I love picking up a book and the main character is just straight up defined, like in the first sentence. And you're like, yes, I know who you are. Or like, you kind of get a feel of them. But then like, main characters who don't have their memory or something. And it's like, I'm I'm always a little bit bored by it. I can't even think of enough examples to list why it is such a trope. Like, I haven't read something with it in a long time. Yeah, it's not, like, a common trope now. I think it's more common in, like, movies, isn't it? Could be. Maybe games. I don't really know, but I know it's a thing. Like, the fact I reacted it like that, like, common. I know it's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is which is weird. Well, I think it was kind of burnt out, and then, and then this one brings it back. And I do think she did it well, but then it sort of asks uncomfortable questions like well the character is uncomfortable with a certain thing a certain tradition but they're perfectly comfortable with another one and then you as the reader are like why does she remember some things and not others or have visceral reactions to some things and not others and some of those questions are answered but I think they were jarring in a sort of um in a meta way as opposed to a world building way but at the same time you can't separate that point of view from this story like 
it's a really well-crafted book, and I don't think you could separate Zan's history from it. So it also, it worked. It just brought a lot of baggage. That's, I like seeing tropes of baggage used well. Um, so that's interesting. I would definitely recommend this one, if only for the fact that it is an entirely all-female cast, which was which was really cool. And I liked some of the characters a lot. I just thought they were very endearing. But at the same time, if you're squeamish, you, you might want to stay away from this one. Because, like, it's it's pretty severe. Like, I'm not generally squeamish with violence in books. And this is all the body horror. Every type of body horror you want. So your mileage may vary. Well, I did just order it from the library, so we'll see how I go. <laughs> we're good. <laughs> next, we're just gonna, Next, I'm reading um, uh, Xenogenesis by Octavia Butler, which is also about, like, bodily autonomy. And I just... I, I This is a theme now, apparently. I can't give myself a rest. I swear that. that happens. Like, sometimes you just pick up a lot of books, you know, like, these all have a common theme, and it just it's just fate telling you you need to read about that theme, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> it's, it's Dawn by Octavia Butler is actually the first one in the series. And I picked it up and I was like, I can't read this, and the stars are legion at the same time. I can't handle it. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <But laughs> well written, I think. So that's something to look forward to. That's always good. Actually, speaking of <laughs> horror, I played a twine game, which was rather unsettling. So we can transition into games unless you have anything else you want to add. I'm good with games. Cool. So my quest this week was to try to make a twine game. Um, so twine is a tool that allows you to make branching narrative stories. It's basically a choose your own adventure book that you can click through and it's a free program and it can be put on the website for anyone to play. And so far I haven't done much. I know exactly the story I wanna tell. I just haven't worked on the program enough to put it in. So. I'm working on that, and in order to do that, I needed to, I wanted to read other, read, play, other Twine games that, so that I could get an example of sort of what to do and what not to do. They can be quite complicated. They can have sort of timed events or inventory. Um, they can also just involve branching choices. You can do sort of things like, well, if the character has this item, this choice will be open to them. So there's a, a bit of leeway in how you want to allow people to progress, but mostly it's it's sort of branching dialogue choices. And it's it seems really cool. It seems like a really good tool to make games that are sort of philosophical and sort of um, explore the idea of characters, because that's all you have. You, you just have the text and the player. So you're almost having a conversation with another writer instead of just writing something to them and having them read it. So I'm going to check that out. Hopefully I can actually produce something that other people can read that I feel is not too embarrassing for me to put on the internet. So <laughs> that's good. I'm excited um, to read what you do. Twine is really fun to play with and I love playing cool Twine games. So I'm very excited. Have you made one before? Yeah, the first game I wrote actually was a twine game about 
living with chronic illness, um, it's a heavily uh, kind of autobiographical twine. Um, it's very dark because it's about chronic illness and it's a little bit poetic. Um, and looking back on it now, there's so much I changed because it was the first thing I wrote and it's very clunky. But um, yeah, twine is, it's really fun to use because even though it looks really basic from the outside, there's actually a lot you can do with it. That uh, uh, dark and a bit poetic is kind of what I go, I have, my goal is also. So hopefully <laughs> I'll be able to figure it out. Um, the game that I played, uh, I have a couple others on my to-do list, but the one that I actually finished this week was called With Those We Love Alive. And it was about a trans character in um, sort of a new weird world so i think it was i don't know what year it was made but it very much was in the kind of um jeff vandermeer world of like weird creatures and you don't quite know what's going on and it had like a little bit of china mayville sort of city magic styling going on um and it was about this this woman who's sent to be a, a mechanic sort of for the empress who is a monster. I'd like you can describe her in different ways in the game. So there's no more general description than that. Like she has <laughs> claws and horns and she's kind of this unknowable eldritch monster. And you learn a little bit about that character's past and um you so she's trans and she takes hormones which are like runes. And so she uses these runes, and you have to do that to progress in the game. Like, at times, you have to sleep in order for time to pass, and you have to put the runes on before you go to sleep. So I thought it was kind of... I didn't know the character was trans going in, and I was just like, oh, this is kind of like a neat mechanic. And it's it's almost more than that, though. It's not just a mechanic. It's It's really a... A firm part of the character and I kind of I kind of like that it was there was no getting around it you know it wasn't like hidden and you can read into things like that's just who this character is that I is just a, hadn't that's a good example of like the way you said that is not really a mechanic it's part of the character like that's a really good example of narrative design is making the mechanic not just a mechanic but part like an important part of telling the story Hmm, yeah, I, I never really played anything like that before, so that was very notable. And then you have, you can make, like, s sort of moral choices and, and find more about about that character, and uh, I, I enjoyed it. It was, it was dark. Um, there were <laughs> a couple different sort of ways you could interact with it. You could change, um, you could, like, change the way the character described things. But more than that, there were two, like, kind of things that set it apart, I think, and made it really creative, which was, one, you were instructed to draw runes on your own arm. So you would draw, um, like, it would say, you feel uh, shame was one of them, I think. Draw a sigil for shame. And by the end of the game, you'd have drawings of whatever you thought those emotions or those experiences looked like to you from your elbow to your wrist. And um, I did not actually draw them on my arm, full disclosure, because I couldn't find a Sharpie that was like good to write on skin with. <laughs> so <laughs> I drew them. I drew them on a piece of paper and you can see it on my Twitter. If you want to, you can see my runes. Um, 
So there was that, and then there's also a meditation portion where you you would breathe with the game. So it would just say, breathe in, and then the screen would go blank for five seconds or seven seconds, and then it would say exhale, and you could breathe with it. And I found myself doing that quite often just because it was kind of calming. It was something to go to do, you know, and it was um, it would offer you longer breaths or shorter breaths, depending on what you were comfortable with. So that included a lot of different mechanics and the writing was really solid. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing what else I can do with Twine. Dang, I'm going to have to check that out because that sounds really cool. You should. It was, uh, it wasn't that long, but it was maybe an hour. It was like, it was, it was from what I read, I found it on like a best of list. It's one of the like on the longer side for a twin yeah. game. Yeah, but, yeah, it would be. <laughs> yeah, but you can play it in like one sitting quite easily. Yeah. Um my favorite twine game which I haven't played in ages cuz it's like a one playthrough kind of thing. But um it's called Akis and it's not really a game so much as like an exploration of a moment and what leads to that moment and it's it's about two people kissing but as you go through you can like look at different parts of what's happening around it and find out about the characters and the world around them and what happens in their lives sort of thing and this is really it's a really poetic twine it's basically a poem that's interactive and even if you look like if you could google the kiss a kiss twine map or something um you can see that even like the the tree or whatever it's called that they use in twine to connect all the stories is even like a pattern like even that's kind of poetic it's really cool um like if it's not really exploration of what twine can do when you push it but it is a really cool uh exploration of what you can tell with twine i think that's that sounds cool and i have many many questions about it including um so is it it's so i i see here i googled it real quick it's novel length like how long do you think it would take to play a kiss um it's not i don't know i don't know how long it takes to actually find all of the stuff in it because i haven't actually played every single option um so it kind of depends on how much you feel like sticking to it i think um i played it for i think about half an hour possibly like trying to find everything i could but it's it's a twine game so it's not super long yeah yeah um so question number two would i like it (laughs) i'm not sure maybe like it's it's very much a poetic thing about two people i think like it's been a while since i've played it so i can't remember entirely um like it doesn't explore any interesting themes or like science fiction stuff or anything like that it's just kind of like a sweet little thing okay okay um that thing you said so question three the thing you said about the twine map the first thing i did when i wanted to write one was kind of came up with the the theme I wanted, the plot, and then I drew the map on a piece of paper because it helped me visualize how I wanted my game to go. And I have I have a couple ideas, and one of them, they're shaped completely differently. Like part of my idea was I want to make two completely different like types of branching stories in order to test the waters of this and see what I can do with it. Um, So that's interesting that it sounds like this person kind of did that top-down approach too. So when you made one, did you find yourself thinking of the map as a whole thing before you wrote the game? Or did you um, just kind of 
start off, I realized halfway through this that I'm asking the question that no writer wants to hear, which is, <laughs> <laughs> which is the like, are you a pantser or a planner? And yeah. I apologize for writing, for asking that question in the most convoluted way possible. <laughs> No, it's fine. Um, that's what I just did. It's definitely like that's definitely a good thing to think about before going into any kind of branching narrative writing because the first thing I wrote, I just went into it, no pants. I don't remember what pants by seat of my pants. That's what that means. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I got very overwhelmed very quickly by the number of choices I had. And my branch for that game is like my my tree for that game is ridiculous. Like it starts small and then it just explodes and. It, it goes from left to right, so it's like a linear kind of tree. Um, that was bad, and I would not recommend ever doing that. Um, now, when I there was a, I wrote a test piece for a game that I did not end up doing um, late last year. And before I started that, I definitely thought about what the map would look like because I knew it was um, gonna be like it would branch out and then come back together quite a lot because I wanted kind of shoe like keep the story directed in a direction. Um, and the idea of writing it down on paper or like using sticky notes and making your own tree is, is genius when you're doing this stuff. Like always do that. Cause it makes sure that you're not overscoping or anything. Um, a hundred percent like that. That is good. I'm bad at it, but that is a good thing to do. Yeah. You mentioned scope when I was kind of asking you for, for the one Oh one about this. And, um, that I think, it reminds me of when people are talking about short stories and a lot of writers have to prune back and sort of keep the short story very skeletal. And it sounds like you want to do the same thing with this because they're not, it's not going to be long necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. It's um when it comes to making games, like in any form, scope is a really important thing to think about. Like the first thing a lot of people do when they make their first game or try and make their first game is they're like, oh, I want it to be like an open world and you do all this stuff. And it's like, no, no, just focus on the important detail, like focus your game, especially for your first game. And um, when it comes to like branching narratives, scope is definitely important to have because it's super easy to get lost in branches and like all your choices and all the different things you want to do. Um, which, like, it's good to explore that stuff, but it can be a problem for when you first start off with writing these kinds of things. Which is why I, whenever somebody starts doing a twine thing, I'm always like, put it down on paper and make sure it's not too big. Because even if it's short to play, it could still take ages to write. I'm glad that I seem to have started on the right foot accidentally. That's yeah, good. you're doing good. <laughs> when you told me you'd already <laughs> written, like, stuff down on paper, I was like, you're going to do fine. <laughs> I'll keep you updated. Hopefully, I'll actually have a product that people can read. Ah, yes. I'm so excited. So, the other things that I've been doing are a little bit piecemeal. I restarted the original Mass Effect because I had so many Mass Effect feelings. I'd been playing the third one with a friend and Andromeda's coming out, so I just started the first one. And I'm not I'm not gotten very far. I'm on, I think, the second of your, your optional planets. Or not optional, you know, um, Novaria. And I've done Pharos and Novaria. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, um, that's good. It's I'm really glad that I did it, not just because it's a really enjoyable universe and I love Shepard a lot, but because um, it kind of will be interesting to compare what I expect from Andromeda to Mass Effect 1. Because 1 and 3 actually 
kind of go different directions a little bit. Like one is is almost more hard sci-fi. Like some of the conversations are very almost dry in a good way. It it offers you a lot of moral questions really fast and a lot of like really personal stories, which three does also, but you're you're in like the big war at that point and you know there's a lot of recurring characters around you. So it's it's nice to go and see what I might expect from Andromeda when you're in a world with characters that, and as we've seen from some of the previews and the gameplay previews and stuff, have a lot of different philosophies, and those philosophies are are very important to the story. I think Mass Effect 1 is probably my favorite Mass Effect game. Like, it's so clunky in a lot of places, and (laughs) shooting people is really hard in that game, but I just, it's so big, and it does so much, and I love it. It's so good. And yeah, I've been kind of tempted to pick them up again before Andromeda comes out, but I'm also like, will I have time to play the games? But then I shouldn't even worry about that. I should just do it because I love the first game. It grew on me. The, the, I actually didn't finish the first one the first time I played it. I, I put it down until uh, Mass Effect 2 came out. But the more I play the first one, the more I just feel like I kind of belong there. Like it, it's it's got a... I'm getting all sentimental about the Normandy. <laughs> it feels like home, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's and that's nice. And it it tells some really good, really contained stories. And yeah. I don't expect to finish the trilogy or even the first game by the time Andromeda comes out. I never really hoped for that, but at least <laughs> I'll have put a toe in. Yeah, I might just pick it up again because it's been like two years since I played Mass Effect and the first game yeah it's it does feel like home like I love Drag- um, Dragon Age Mass Effect 2 is probably my least favorite of all of them but like I think that's the one I've played the most and I need to play the first one more I love Mass Effect 2 a lot but they all kind of feel like home to me yeah like I love all of them like my children basically but 2 is my least favorite <laughs> But that doesn't mean I don't love it. Like, it's one of my favorite games ever. It's just not one of my favorite, favorite games. The opening is just so good. <laughs> yeah, I love two so much. <laughs> but um, so the reason that I'm probably not going to finish Mass Effect before Andromeda comes out is that I am playing Horizon Zero Dawn, which is everything I hoped it would be so far. <laughs> I'm so glad to um, hear that. But I'm also so jealous that you get to play it and I don't. <laughs> It, I, you will, you will soon. <laughs> yeah, I will. Um, it is, well, I guess, so again, I can't really even spoil anything because I've only played about two hours, but um, I've gotten to the proper open world stuff. And the, some of the dialogue's a little clunky, some of the animation's a little clunky, and those are literally all of my complaints. Like, it is a really, really fun game. It. Like, I feel kind of silly saying it, but I think it's been written about by people more eloquent than myself as well. It's a really gamified game in that progression is really satisfying. So everything you do feels like it's it's moving you forward toward a goal. Right now, I have, like, I know I have a side quest that I need to work on when I'm a little higher level. I have a couple quests over here. I have the main quest, and I'm really enjoying figuring out what order I should do those things in. And they could be very tedious if the gameplay wasn't so enjoyable. 
but the control scheme is really efficient. You can do a lot with different weapons. And I did have a little like Mass Effect flashback because there's a weapon wheel. And <laughs> I was like, oh no, I'm gonna it's gonna take forever to get through that weapon wheel, but I'm already starting to feel a little faster with it and a little more comfortable. There are so many opportunities just to like feel like you're doing something really cool in this game and there are robot dinosaurs and one of my first encounters I was like looting the body of a robot dinosaur and another one just careened over the hill out of nowhere and slammed into the body and like slammed into me and I just bolted and was like, <laughs> what happened here? But the animation was amazing. Like, it it was really convincing. And it was really chaotic. And it was really fun. So I'm, I'm having a blast with that. I'm so glad to hear that. Especially because you were saying you're a little bit worried. It wouldn't be that, like, it wouldn't end up being good. I am. And I'm still, I'm not far enough in to know to know that much story. I like Aloy as the main character. Like I like her, but I don't feel like I'm, I don't feel like I know her enough yet. So yeah. hopefully, and I've heard nothing but good things from reviewers about the rest of the story. So um, hopefully I'll continue to be attached to her, but it's just, it's a really endearing story. It, it also starts out kind of darker than I expected it. Like it gets darker faster than I expected it to. Um, and it's got a, it's just, it's such a great world. And it sort of trains you to work in that world very efficiently. Like you can see yourself, you can kind of feel yourself learning and being able to identify things in the landscape. And there, there's a lot of, of UI going on. There's a lot of quest markers and, uh, Sorts, all sorts of things, and but it becomes easy to understand them very quickly. So I think it's uh, really fun. I'm looking forward to playing some more. I'm hoping that I can um, kind of balance getting through the plot at a good speed so that I don't get spoiled by the internet <laughs> and just enjoying it and going, going along at a sort of leisurely fashion and possibly taking many photographs of dinosaurs. Oh, man. I can't wait to play it so I can talk to you about it. Yes, we. I'm sure we'll have an episode about it because I want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> we absolutely will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, like, yeah, I, I'm so hyped still. Oh my gosh! We're just gonna sit in how happy we are about Horizon for a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Um. Speaking of games, like you're hyped about, I was. I found out about this game like two weeks ago called Night in the Woods. Found out about it really late, but the moment I saw the trailer for it, I got really hyped for it. And um, it came out last week, I think. Yeah, it came out last week at some point, early last week. And it's like this little, it's a game, it's an indie game about you play as a cat, like an anthropomorphic cat, and um, who has dropped out of college and gone home and is dealing with depression and there's ghosty mysteries about you have to solve what's happening in the town and it's a really good story of like being a youth in this age I think like it captures the feeling of being kind of a lost millennial um and not knowing what to do with yourself um I possibly identify with it a lot because I also dropped out of college and went home at one point um 
so I feel the main character. But it's a really, it's a really good game. It's kind of like it's got some platforming elements in it. It's you get choices. I don't think it's actually a branching game. I think it ends the same no matter what you do. But you get a lot of choices that help define the character you're playing, who's called May or Mai. I'm not sure. Who's like this cute little cat gal, like. The art is really simplified and it's really cute. Like, she's not a weird sexy cat gal. She's just a cute little cat who stands on two legs kind of thing. Um, and it's kind of a horror supernatural thing, but not quite. Like, it has some creepy bits in it, which are really good. But a lot of it just is about exploring your character's relationship with the town and with her friends and what changes when you leave home, but what stays the same kind of. I really like this genre of, like, I guess early adulthood and trying to sort of find yourself plus weird small town mystery. <laughs> like, um, I'm thinking about Virginia, although that's less young adult and more just small town mystery. I'm thinking about Life is Strange, mostly. Yeah, it, it very much... Sorry. No, I, I think it's a, it's a good genre it's um it would be very easy to call that a trope but i don't think it is i think that would be a massive simplification it, it might be a an aesthetic but it's a perfectly serviceable aesthetic right yeah it's definitely like an aesthetic or like a story genre but it, it 100% isn't a trope because none of these stories actually do the same thing they're just exploring similar themes i guess like when i was like because i played life is strange and i didn't there were things that I really didn't like about it. Um, like, All Up I thought was a really good game, but at the end I was all like, mm, there's things I would have changed. And I think Night in the Woods is kind of the game I wanted from Life is Strange. Like, I'm not saying it has, like, any queer baiting or potentially real queerness or, like, time travel, because it doesn't have any of that stuff, I think. But, um, like, there's a, there's actually a gay couple in Night in the Woods. One of Two of your friends are a gay couple. But... It, ha- it captures the feeling better than Life is Strangers for me. And I found that, like, as I was playing it, there was a moment that it clicked and I was like, this is what I wanted when I was playing Life is Strange. Like, this is the feeling I wanted and didn't get, but now I have it in this game. And it's it's a short game. It's, like, five hours long, I think, at most. It's probably longer if you actually, like... I tried to get all the achievements and I only got four. I was useless at this game. It's really hard to get everything. I don't know where everything is. But, um... It's a short game, and it's a really condensed story, and it's really strong and good. That sounds cool. Yeah. How is how is the dialogue? I um actually was talking about the Oscars and um, a critic. I don't remember. I think it was um, Overinvested podcast. One of their critics mentioned that Manchester by the Sea featured teenagers who actually talk like teenagers, and how rare that is. So do you think the dialogue was was good? Was it how, like, the experience you had of how teenagers talk? Or, you know, college age, 1920 sort of kind, age characters? Kind of. It's it's like how they talk, but stylized. But not in a way that we're trying to write youths and we don't know how. It's in a way of, like, you know the people who wrote it understand how people, how millennials talk, but they're stylizing it to make it more like how we talk online kind of if that makes sense interesting i i think so so more online um slang or more online attitude moved into a a face-to-face setting 
Yeah, kind of the way the text is structured, all the things they say aren't really things that you would potentially hear from a friend in real life, but it's 100% something that you would like type at them on Twitter, if that makes sense. Like it's sort of like your internal dialogue as opposed to what you might actually say out loud. There's this one, there's this one really good bit in it, which isn't really a spoiler because it's quite early on, where you go to a party and you get super drunk. Um, and then your choices, your dialogue choices, you can switch between like two really eloquent things to say, like, oh, I am so embarrassed by what I have done. And then when you choose it, you just blurt out like slurred words and everything, and it's totally wrong. And I think it, it captures really well how it is to talk in social situations and like, especially awkward ones like that. Um, and there's a lot of times where it'll give you two choices that will do the exact same thing. And as you're looking at them, you're like, I know this is just going to screw me up no matter which choice I choose. But you can kind of choose how you present that screw up which i thought was cool oh interesting that sounds like it definitely kind of gets that subtlety of of social awkwardness right yeah and i think it captures like how it feels to be in those situations quite well like it's like i said like the the talking the dialogue is quite stylized but it still feels real interesting okay cool yeah it's true like it feels true to to relationships yeah definitely um all of the characters in it i felt there's there's one character i think b beatrice who's kind of one of the main characters that you can become friends with and i felt her relationship with may was really good because just the way they talked they they didn't like it wasn't about becoming friends like straight away it was about working through problems and talking to them like an actual person and the character you play is kind of an awful person like she's she's a she's a kid and she doesn't know why she says bad things and a lot of it is working through that which i thought was cool like you don't play a character that's you're kind of playing an unlikable character but you still really like her that's an accomplishment i think pointing out as a writer pointing out a character's flaws or things that an audience might dislike them for while neither condemning nor condoning those flaws is really tricky yeah. I think Night yeah. in the Woods kind of balances on a really good line with how it portrays the characters in it. And it was just, it was really, ref- like, I love, I love weird little indie games that do stuff like this. And it was great. The fact I hadn't heard about it before was, I was genuinely surprised I didn't know about it before, like, this month. Um, but I think it's already, like, my game of the year, basically. Like, I can't see any other game that I know of coming out that will beat this game in my books. Cool. I just, um, you mentioned you can play as a cat, and it reminded me of HK, which is the cat, the game where you can play as a cat exploring an abandoned city. And I don't think it's out yet, but it looks gorgeous, and it's the, the, the only title that they've referred to it so far as HK Pro- Project. Are you familiar with that? I am. I totally forgot about that. I remember, like, I think I followed them on Twitter at some point and then unfollowed them because they posted too many gifts. Oh. <laughs> but I, I'm excited. I like, I, whenever I hear about it, I'm like, oh my god, yeah, I'm really excited about that game. Yeah, I don't know whatever happened to them. It looks like they have a blog po- a post from December 21st, 2016, saying that it's still in development. And that's about all the post says. So looking <laughs> forward to that. Yeah, we're rooting for you, HK Project. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I played. I also started playing Kentucky Route Zero, which I probably would be farther through if Night in the Woods hadn't come out because um, 
I don't even I don't even know why I decided like I jumped on Nine in the Woods as fast as I did when I had Kentucky Route Zero, but I did. Um and I finished the first part and I think it's a really cool game. Like everything about it is just really gorgeous. It's so artfully done. Like from the writing to the art to like the sound, <laughs> it just it's really good. Yeah, it's incredibly atmospheric and sort of dreamlike and weird in a unique kind of way. Yeah, it's like this weird surrealist thing, but it's not quite surrealist because it's still really real. Yeah, it the the image that I keep coming back to is the the highway itself, which is a sort of lattice work or spider web kind of kind of drawing of you going around on this endless looping highway. And it's uh it's good. I um I look forward to when you get to the, some of the later parts. You'll find my favorite characters in the later parts. And I think we're still waiting for episode five. Is not out yet, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I was waiting to start playing it until then, but one of my good friends started playing it recently and kept bugging me about playing it. And I was like, okay, fine, because I ran out of other games to play. Um, and I know that once I start playing it properly, I'm gonna get totally sucked in. Cool. Yeah, that one, it lingered with me. It wasn't necessarily a super emotional thing. Like, I wouldn't always, I wasn't always super engaged, but it was really, really pleasantly weird. Yeah, I think, like, so far I'm not emotionally invested in anything that's happening, but I have only played part one, so it's not super much. But I am really interested in the world, and I also really like the writing. Yes, yeah. It's just, I don't know how to explain it, except that the, tonally, it's super consistent. It never, it has a really good control of its own tone, and it breaks that sometimes, but only in very intentional ways. I like the sound of that. That is promising, because I like the tone a lot. You will get more of it. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I think that's everything on our list today. We actually did go over 40 minutes, so you get a proper amount of content, even though we don't have a main topic. Um, anything Woo-hoo. else you wanted to add? Um, I don't think I have anything, except that I'm excited about Horizon Zero Dawn. Yes, <laughs> our schedule might be a little bit unusual over the next month or so, because between um us being away and we're gonna try to time our episodes so that we have so that like we have game releases to talk about and we've had (laughs) enough time to play things but so it might be a little unusual the next couple episodes but we will uh we will be around and don't forget that celebration is coming up and if you are interested in the drowning in moonlight gala in orlando um the week of celebration there are still tickets available for that Yes. All right. So um, this has been a Tashi Station podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Western underscore reaches. Um, you can also find us at uh, TashiStation.net. And my Twitter handle is at blog full of words. And that's where you can find anything I write and also the runes that I scrawl on paper that I have lying around in my house. <laughs> Saf, where can people find you? <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter at Wanderlustin, W-A-N-D-R-L-U-S-T-I-N. And I also have a gaming account on Twitter that I remembered about recently, which is WandaGaming, which is basically the same thing, just with gaming. Um, so go check that out too if you want. 
I oh that's news to me. Say it again. <laughs> um Wonder Gaming. W A N D E R G A M I N. Because I'm so original. <laughs>